Moody Church, good morning. It's good to see you this morning as we continue our series through the uh, Sermon on the Mount and the Gospel of Matthew. We've been looking through these uh, higher standards that Jesus is laying out, a higher standard of righteousness than that which was followed by many at that time. And in doing so, we actually can look to some of our own, uh, I don't know, maybe our own foibles on some of these issues as well, because uh, Jesus is calling not just those listening then, but those reading and hearing now to a higher standard. And today, it's a higher standard of the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You may have heard that expression before, because that's part of an oath that maybe you have been uh, sworn to do. You say, I'll tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I've actually uh, been involved, and I'll share a little bit this a little bit later on, a time where I had to uh, give a, there was a lawsuit, and I had to give a, a deposition. It's related to Charles Stanley. You're going to find it interesting. I'm going to tell you about it a little bit. And, uh, and, and in there, I had to make a choice, because Jesus says, don't make oaths. And I'll talk about how I responded to that there. But I know that for me, and maybe for you, we've already heard read Matthew 5, 33 through 37, for you and maybe for me, um, the idea of promising to tell the truth is something that maybe we don't do as much now, but maybe we did a lot as a child. Because I actually remember as a kid growing up outside of New York City that there were some neighbors, and actually I specifically remember a time when we were saying something and someone said, are you telling the truth? We were trying to make a promise that, I don't remember what the promise was, but I remember the drama that surrounded it, but maybe it's a promise to do something or to give something or to pay something, I don't know. Uh, But the promise had to be made, and then I remember my neighbor, his name was Billy Watson, uh, saying to me, are you, do you have your, because I was standing sort of like this talking to him, and he said, do you have your fingers crossed? And I said, I uncrossed them quickly and said, no. And he said, well, what about, what about, what about your toes? Are your toes crossed? And I, and I, and I actually, I remember specifically having to take off my sneakers to make the promise where he could see that nothing, no, none of my digits were crossed, because as you know, if you cross your fingers, you're completely released from the integrity of your commitment. (laughs) That's what I thought when I was a kid, right? I just knew that if I could just hide a toe or a finger that was crossed, then then I could say anything, and I'd like, later on, later on I might say, well, you promised to give me this, as well, I had my fingers crossed, and they'd be like, oh, okay, well, then you had your fingers crossed, so it wasn't valid. I mean, this was, this, is, this, is this just unique to the New York metropolitan area? Or was there the idea, see, for me, if you just could, could cross one, it didn't have to be these, it could be, it could be like these, or, or if no one was looking, you could do this, but if anything was crossed, you can say anything you want, and you're not obligated to that fulfillment. So it's a pretty sweet deal. Uh, well, that's not actually dissimilar to the situation where we find ourselves today. You see, those in religious leadership in Jesus' day, the scribes and the Pharisees, were actually finding ways that people could, in essence, make an oath and then back out of it. They could say, well, I had my fingers crossed. And Jesus actually rebuts that kind of nonsense and gives his followers a greater righteousness to follow. Why? Because of who we are as followers of Jesus. So Jesus says to his followers, because of who we are, we always speak truth. 
Last night I was having dinner with my family and, and we were discussing work and my oldest daughter had recently uh, gotten a job and, and, uh, and was working hard at it and, and my younger middle daughter was talking about what it would be like to get a job as she's getting old enough to do that and a phrase that I say around the house that drives my children crazy is this, because Kristen worked really hard. She worked at the Wheaton College grounds uh, this past summer, which is a hard job. It's a hard job in the sun with a lot of work, but there's a phrase that we use and I say, Stetzer's work hard. I mean, that's just something we believe in. We, I inherited it from my Union Iron Lather father who would, who would get up and take the train Long Island Railroad into to Manhattan and build things all day and come home tired and weary and hardworking. And I just believed that I'd pass it on to my kids and I'd say, Stetzer's work hard. And they do, though my kids are tired of me saying Stetzer's work hard, but they do. Well, see, Christians speak truth. That's in the nature of who they are. That's part of the very identity of what a Christian is. And so this passage points us to that reality. Let's take a look at it again. It says this, again, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, remember the formulation we see throughout this section of scripture, right? But I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven for, for, the, throne, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is its footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one, uh, one hair white or black. Let, let, let what you say simply be yes or no, anything else comes from the devil. So now again, this becomes a key issue because the law starts and Jesus explains it, right? But because of who we are as followers of Jesus, we always speak truth. We don't need the exceptions. Let's take a look at the law that Jesus quotes. So number one in our outline is the law. It says this, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, Jesus is not directly quoting from an Old Testament passage, but he's providing a compilation of various passages that address swearing. And by swearing, we're not talking about profanity. That's kind of one way we use that today. Uh, by swearing, we don't mean cursing or cussing, depending on what part of the country you're from. Uh, it means a vow, an oath, or something like that. For example, um, I remember as a kid, we didn't go to church, but I knew seeing the Bible sometimes, and I would say to, when I really want to say I was telling the truth, as a kid not a Christian, I would say, uh, I'll put my hand on the Bible, I'll swear. And I remember saying, I'll do it on a stack of Bibles. So as if putting it on a stack of Bibles would make my oath more serious. And so Jesus condensed the Old Testament verses from across several different genres and books and, and drives home God's view and God's approach, right? God's, God's law reflects the character of God's heart, as Pastor Bill talked about, and especially as it relates to promises. So now we see this, right? So look at, for example, some verses, right? Maybe you've seen Exodus 27, but it's also Deuteronomy 5.11. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord God, your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So sometimes we see that, and we see that as something like, don't attach God's name to profanity when you hit your, your thumb with a hammer. Don't use the Lord's name in vain at that way. 
But, but it actually, it's interesting because in light of a couple of other passages, right, this actually seemed, that seemed to be a commentary on this command, this commandment. Leviticus 19.11, for example, says this. It says, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. So, so again, the, the, what he's saying here is this, is don't use God's name to say you're telling the truth, but just be a person to tell the truth. Let's look at Numbers 30, verse 2. That fleshes out more. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Now, here in the Old Testament, God is commanding his people to keep their word. If you make a vow, keep it, right? If you swear an oath, then make good on that oath. Don't lie. Don't make a pledge. Don't take it back. Don't say you had your fingers or your toes crossed. That's a false oath. Now, the, the Mosaic law, the Old Testament in general, uh, basically said you couldn't take kind of irreverent oaths couldn't use God's name lightly in those oaths. And, and once Yahweh's name was attached to that, right, then that became ultimately, if you, if you I mean, the phrase that people used is they would swear to, and they, if you attached God's name to that, then you were responsible to God for that oath. Now, now again, so that's where that comes from, right? When you've heard people say, I swear to. And, and what, what they're doing is it's actually even an Old Testament idea that once you attach God's name, then you're responsible to God for that promise. So it's not just that I promised you that I would pay back the money, but I promised God, I swear to him, and I promised God that that would be the case. Now, what we see in the New Testament is Jesus laying out, not abolishing the law, but fulfilling the law. And, and the reality is, right, is that a lot of people do just the opposite. Now, my brother is, is, an, is a prosecutor, uh, and he's uh, actually, what's interesting, he was, uh, we were talking this week, and what he told me once was that when people come into court, because I asked him about this oath thing, and because I, I was asked to take an oath, and I'll explain my reaction in just a minute, and he said to me, well, as a prosecutor, what I know is this, is that when somebody puts their hand on a Bible and swears to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, that it has no impact on whether or not they're going to tell the truth. Isn't that interesting? Because if you've been lying on a regular basis, and then you come in, and you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, you've you're already been a practice liar, and so you just continue that, but the legal consequences are higher when you do that. So there's a, so there's a better way for a Christian, right? Because of who we are as followers of Jesus, we always speak the truth. So Jesus goes into some detail here, right? And so remember how this outline goes as we're walking through these passages, right? So it starts with the law and then goes to the meaning, the true meaning of this, right? So nothing seems too controversial at this point. Remember what he just said, you have heard instead of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. That seems like a reasonable, simple description, but there's a whole backstory here that we might not know today that Jesus explains to us. He, he gives some examples here. He says, I say to you, do not take an oath at all. It says, uh, either by heaven, for it is God's throne. Now, that's, this is a strange list, and I'm going to explain it in just a moment. Either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, uh, for it is the city of the great king, and do not take an oath by your head, uh, for you cannot make one uh, hair, or hard white or black, one hair white or black, either one would work for that. Uh, it's supposed to say hair. 
It's my typo, by the way. Um, so, so again, not, not one hair of your head. Now, now, here's the thing I don't want you to miss, right? So in the Jewish tradition, there was this, uh, there was this very uh, robust, example-filled approach to how ultimately you would, uh, you would be able to swear at different levels, right? It's very, it became really complicated, right? And that you could swear certain oaths and the, there's an entire section, entire section of what's called the Mishnah that actually explains to the level, the seriousness of different oaths. It actually lays out uh, the seriousness of those, those different oaths. And you get a picture of that if you read that. We don't have time to go through all that. But basically, right, uh, the tradition permitted people to break the vow depending upon how it was worded. So there were literally, you could cross your fingers and sort of verbally cross your fingers and get out of some of those things. But because of we, who we are, remember as Jesus followers, because of who we are, we always speak truth. And that's what he was saying, and that's what people who are faithful followers of God in that day, right, and that's what people who are faithful followers of God today do, is they, they, they because of who we are in Christ, we always speak truth truth. Now, now again, there'd be faithful Jews who were following God before Christ who, who didn't feel it necessary to, to make all these exceptions and these rules, but there's this idea. Well, let's take a look at another passage that helps us with it. By the way, it's, go back, go back, show there. It's one hair. Did you see what they had right there? Go back one slide. There it is. They fixed it while I mentioned it. Let's give them a little round of applause. Huh? By the way, this is interesting too because this has led some people in history to believe that women should not dye their hair. True story. Um, it's not what it means. You're welcome. All right, let's go on to the next one. Um, it's a true story though. You can Google that. They can't put it on the internet. It's not true. All right, so, um, so in Matthew chapter 23, later on, right, we, 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 as we kind of walk through Matthew, eventually get there, it says, Jesus says, woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. So don't miss this. So Jesus is saying things that are literally happening. Happening. So if I swear by the temple, I swear by the temple. That's like, uh, okay, so maybe it's not like a full-on pinky promise. You, know, you don't know what a pinky promise is, do you? Okay. I have daughters, and I know that when they were littler, when they were small, they, if there was a pinky promise, man, that took it from. That's like the extreme opposite of crossing your fingers. You didn't know that the entirety, entirety of integrity was contained in your hands, did you? Go from crossing your fingers to pinky promise, and that changes everything. So, so what happens is if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by oath. So if you, if you, in other words, you swear by the temple, and if you cross your fingers, it's nothing. But if you use a pinky promise, then you're bound by it. That's, that's how silly that was. We think of children who do that today, but still people are very likely to exaggerated and lies still today. It says, you blind fools, for which is greater, the gold of the temple that has been made, uh, that has made the gold sacred, which, which is better of those, right? If any, and, and you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing, but if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Now, here's the thing. Jesus is really saying, these are a lot of silly distinctions you're making when really you just need to get to the reality that the heart of the law is the heart of, the God, of God, and the heart of this matter is, is because of who we are, we always speak truth. So it's not about crossing your fingers or doing some other things. It's ultimately about being a person of consistent integrity. So what they were doing is they were swearing 
by lesser things, and then almost playing a game about it. And Jesus rebuts this thinking, and he just says, all things ultimately lead back to God. All these things were created by God. So swearing in heaven, uh, swearing by heaven doesn't get you out of your oath, for it's God's throne. Swearing by earth still obligates you because that's God's footstool. Swearing by Jerusalem is, not, is, is, is out too because that's God's city, but it doesn't do anything because it's still God's. Now, why? Um, because these verses continuously point to the idea that there is a higher standard that Jesus would ultimately call us to. Now, some people refuse to take oaths altogether. There's groups of like are called Anabaptists in particular, and they refuse to take oaths based on their understanding of uh, this passage. Um, and at Jesus' trial, uh, before the high priest and the council, Caiaphas, the high priest, actually puts Jesus uh, on oath to tell the truth, and Jesus, apparently under oath, answers. Peter tells us in Acts 2.30, right, that, that God swore an oath to David, and that's one of his descendants would be the Messiah, and Paul sees oath, oath language a lot. In 2 Corinthians 1.23, Paul says this, he says, but I call God as my witness against me, right? So in Galatians 1.20, he says, in what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. In 1 Thessalonians 5.27, I put you under oath to have this letter read to all the brothers. Now, there's oaths that are there. So, again, so some would say, is it, does it mean that you uh, always cannot take an oath? And I, and I don't think that's ultimately uh, the full teaching. But I do think it means that we would be so driven by honesty and so known as the people of God for telling the truth that we would never, no one would ever think to say to us, are you telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Because that's who we are. Because of who we are, we always speak truth. Don't miss this. You don't need an oath if you're a person of truth. So again, there's caution here, and Jesus is talking about the character, the heart of God aligning with the heart of this law, which leads to number three in our outline is the application, right? We want to look at the application. We'll walk through this together. We look at the law. This is pretty much our, our outline for the next several weeks, the law, the true meaning, and the application. So we get the picture of what's going on here, and we see this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. Here it is. Um, Let what you say be simply yes or no, anything more than this comes from uh, evil. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, why does that matter? Well, it makes a difference because of how we see things, right? So let me tell you my strange story related to Charles Stanley in a, in a lawsuit that he knows nothing about, by the way. Maybe he'll watch this video and he'll know. So they asked me to fill in for uh, Pastor Stanley one week at uh, his church in Atlanta. And so so I was driving down, I lived in Nashville at the time, and while I was driving down, I was in a, uh, I was in a car accident. And it was, it was nothing uh, major for, for me. Um, you know, I had some damage and was actually able to go on my way. Uh, but somebody uh, ran a red light and uh, hit somebody else uh, and then careened off of that person and hit me. So long story short, the lawsuit sort of began. I always remember, I, I didn't know, the lawsuit didn't come to me until like, I don't know, maybe a year or two later, I'm just minding my own business and a sheriff shows up at my house. And I'm like, why is there, so Donna calls me, or my neighbor calls me, we're at home and says, there's a sheriff at your house. And I'm like, hmm, what have the kids done? Uh, 
I'm kidding. Um, and so, so I'm like, so, so, but we don't know. They don't leave anything because so then they come back when we're home and they serve me uh, papers that say I'm being sued. I'm like, how in the world am I being sued when somebody ran a red light and crashed into me? And so, but this way happens in lawsuits is that, uh, is that and, and, and ultimately I got, you know, I've been removed from the suit and, what, and all that sort of stuff, but everyone just adds everybody to the lawsuit when they're there. So, so one, someone was hit, was suing the person who hit them, and then they, he sued everyone else for contributory, whatever. And so, so, so I came in and, uh, to the deposition for the lawsuit. And, and what's interesting is, is the conversation came to oaths. And what I, what I said to them, now you sometimes swear an oath, sometimes you don't, depends upon the status and the state of the, of the lawsuit and the deposition, but what I said to them is that I don't actually uh, swear oaths, here's why. I always tell the truth, and I'm happy to continue to tell all of the truth and nothing but the truth to you. Now again, people might take different approaches, but the thing that I wanted people to see and to hear is that as a follower of Jesus, you don't need to put my hand on the Bible and tell me, okay, starting now, you're going to start telling the truth, because I've been telling the truth as much as I can, as often as I can, because Jesus wants me to, not because you made me swear an oath. And I think the teaching of Scripture laying that out would shape us differently. Now, mind you, it has some, it has some challenges, right? Jesus says, don't, basically, don't go around making a bunch of complicated oaths, and just, just don't set out to deceive people. Just be a person of, don't, don't try to split hairs and say, well, I didn't tell the whole truth, but a little bit of the truth, and let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. This is your calling as a Christian. Because of who we are, we always speak truth. It's a higher standard. You know, didn't we see that this week? You know, I, I, was, uh, I was in Florida for most of last week, and um, one of the things that's strange about my life the last uh, chunk of time has been I've had to carry around this card. Uh, everywhere I go, I have to carry around this card. It has to be on my person at all times, and, and what happens is, is when a significant global news event happens, I get a phone call, and there's a series of people that I call, and we cancel our plans, and we reorganize what we're doing and we get ready to deal with media and a lot of other things. And uh, on, while in Florida, I looked down and there was a phone number from Asheville, North Carolina that I recognized and I knew that was the call. That was the call that Billy Graham had died. And so when we get that call, uh, I was actually down there trying to finish a book, and I was preaching that weekend, and so I still be able to do some of it, but everything changed because we knew just a little before it got public, and we needed to make preparation and plans, and, and, and we did, and we're so thankful. Pastor Lutzer and I were there at the funeral and more, uh, but we're so thankful for the life of Billy Graham. But what I want you to know is there's a part of why we're so thankful for Billy Graham that kept coming up at the funeral and talking to people that day. I was actually in uh, Fort Lauderdale at, on the day on the morning, and I actually was going to lunch that day with a group of people that included Billy Graham's grandson, Stefan Chevigian, and one of the things he said, we just had heard about it hours before, he said his grandfather just consistently was the same person in public and in private. He said what he, things like what he said, he meant, and, and it actually comes back to something called the Modesto Manifesto, where actually what happened, Graham and a group of his associates actually got together and said, one of the things they're going to say is no exaggerating 
because that's what kind of evangelists were known for, sadly. Uh, we think about people like Elmer Gantry and others. They're movies that talk about them as, as scams and farces, and they exaggerate. Matter of fact, Billy Graham wrote this. says, the tendency among some evangelists was to exaggerate their successes or to claim higher attendance numbers than they really had. This, this likewise discredited evangelism and brought the whole enterprise under suspicion. It made them suspicious. So he just made a commitment, quoting, to integrity in our publicity and our recording. And the reason that one of the reasons that Billy Graham has made such an impact for so long is this commitment to integrity, to never exaggerate, to never lie. And it's a long time. People forget, you know, when Billy Graham started as a student at Wheaton College 70 years ago, Billy Graham is old enough to be Pastor Lutzer's father and my grandfather. I mean, don't miss the distance, how long he was faithful in ministry through integrity. You see, ultimately, you want to be known as a person, so nobody then would think to say, okay, here comes Billy Graham, let's put him under oath so we can get him to tell the truth this time. And what I want you to hear is, is that's the way it needs to be for followers of Jesus, because of who we are, we always speak truth, and you don't need an oath if you're a person of the truth. And that's what Jesus is pointing to, a higher, a higher standard. Now, why does that matter? Well, it matters because of the application that's before us, right? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Proverbs 12, 19 puts it this way. It says, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Can, can I tell you, thank God for Billy Graham, that truthful lips endured for seven decades of ministry. Thank God for that. But can I just say that's all of our call as well. Now, you know, that's not always easy. I mean, for us, we've made some decisions in our family that I'm not saying you need to make in the same way we made them. But for example, because of this verse, we don't, we don't tell our children Christmas myths that many other people do. And we're not mad at people who do. I'm not preaching against that or anything of that sort. So, so they don't believe that uh, eggs are delivered by a certain large rodent. Um, <laughs> and they don't believe fat men fit down chimneys. And... Um, now, now, mind you, can I tell you, they, 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 they don't feel neglected. They, they know that for us, we're always going to tell them the truth. And the decision we made, not saying you need to make the same decision, is that I didn't want, when they got to be teenagers, say to them, oh, yeah, that wasn't true, that's kind of a myth, that wasn't true, that's kind of a myth. Oh, but that whole Jesus thing, completely true, not a myth. Or I got to tell you, some of the things sometimes that are hard as a parent is my daughter, I remember her saying to me, she's going to get shot, she says, it's going to hurt. And what I was taught is to say, no. And then they find out in a second, you're lying to them. So I say, yeah, it's going to hurt a little bit, but it's going to be fast. But I will tell you, when my youngest daughter got into some serious health difficulty and ended into the hospital, and I could say to her, no, this one's not going to hurt, or this one might going to hurt a little, it brought her great comfort, because her father consistently would tell the truth. So a theme throughout Scripture, and I'm not perfect at this, by the way, but a theme throughout Scripture is, is found, James 5.12 puts it this way. It says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or any, by any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so you may not fall under condemnation. Because of who we are, we always speak truth. And I got to tell you, that's not a normal approach for most people. And it's almost become acceptable. So I, until about a year and a half ago when I moved to Chicago um, and started serving here soon thereafter, my, part of my job was to survey churches. And one of the things we did every year is we surveyed 
the largest churches in America. And we'd call them each year and ask their attendance, and then they'd print a list in a magazine. And what was interesting was when we started, uh, we called up and we got the information, and they said, when we called, they said, well, they always let us report last year's numbers with this year's numbers. So said, well, what did we have last year's numbers? I said, we'll just take, we'll just take this year's numbers. And they were a little hesitant, people a little hesitant, but what I found out later was is that every time the prior researcher would call, they would give them, let's just take this number, they'd give them their attendance in 2000 and 2001, and then they'd call in 2002, and they'd give them attendance in 2001, 2002. So I, I saw this one church that, that grew by 2,000 people each year. I charted it all out. They grew by 2,000 people each year. They grew from 8,000 to 10,000 every year. In other words, every year they reported 2,000 attendance growth while remaining 10,000 in attendance. Now, math is hard, but math is worth doing. <laughs> There's a technical term in research for that. It's called lying. No, that's not the technical term. <laughs> it's called the halo effect. It's trying to produce something that gives a desired good look or things of that sort. But I got to tell you, I'm convinced that one of the great challenges in Christianity today is that it's easy for well-known pastors. It's easy for people working as a mechanic and love, love Jesus, but don't love the truth. And uh, people doing this or that, it's, it's easy for someone to say, well, you know, I, I, it's for the good. It's for the, com for the better good if they just believe something else. And what we find is this impacts everything when we're known for not telling the truth. We're known for not telling the truth in banking or, or law enforcement or being a neighbor or, or being a part of an organization, a club, a volunteer organization. Jesus and James says that believers should be so consistent in their speech that, that everyone knows they tell the truth. They don't need a cosigner to say it's true. That's sort of what they're doing. I swear by God, God's co-signing. I swear by the temple, the temple's co-signing. I swear by the city, the city's co-signing. But as followers of Jesus, we don't need a co-signer. We just people of integrity because Jesus called us to be. Now we're coming up today to a um, time of the Lord's Supper together, communion together. Can I just say to you that I really think that this is a moment for many of us to deal with the habit, habitual saying of white lies that we think are okay, but ultimately undermine our integrity. Now, I want you to hear this. For some of you, you're like, oh, I totally get it. I'm not that person, great. But I gotta tell you, I know so many. And sometimes I'm tempted to say, let's just say something and move it on. But I want you to hear this. Jesus calls us to a higher standard, a standard of the heart. Don't fall into the trap. And communion is a great time to do that because one of the things you'll hear is Pastor Bill will soon say that if you're not a Christian, you should let this pass by. But if you have any unconfessed sin in your life, you should let this pass by. Can I tell you? Your propensity to white lies, I don't know who you are, but our propensity to white lies causes people to see us as untrustworthy. And people who follow Jesus, who says, I am the truth, cannot and must not be. A person of integrity does not need an oath, so be that person. Now, why? Because Jesus calls us to a higher standard, to a better righteousness in which our words are always marked with truth. Now, again, this is not a super fun message. It's not, I don't have any pictures or graphics. I'm not walking this path or that path to try to say, man, let's think deeply. This is just really basic stuff. If you've got a problem with the truth, you've got a problem with your heart. And Jesus wants to change that heart. Ultimately, 
as followers of Jesus. You don't need an oath if you're a person of the truth. That's Jesus' point. Because of who we are in Christ, we always speak truth. So I invite you to search your heart today. Does this higher standard relate and reflect in your life? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we acknowledge today that for too often it's maybe easy to tell a white lie. But really there's no such thing. And Lord, in this passage you remind us of their maybe what customs that seem silly to us swearing by Jerusalem or by the gold in the temple. Maybe silly because as a child, maybe we crossed our fingers or but we become a little more sophisticated today and we think, well, I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I don't want to, I don't want to get myself in a difficult situation and we're too apt to lie when it's not a big deal because we don't realize just how big of a deal it is. Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed this morning, I want to ask you to Come before the Lord and ask him to take your life and let it be consecrated to him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, right now you could call out in his name and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Be my Savior, my Lord. If you are a follower of Jesus, just, just between you and the Lord right now, could you ask this question to yourself? Am I a person of utmost and complete honesty? If the answer is no, how will Jesus' words to you, let your yes be yes and your no be no, and anything else is of the evil? How will the words of Jesus speak to your heart? Will you yield to him? Will you say to him, take my life and let it be consecrated to thee?